Well, 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 would you look at that. The Vegas favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics, the reigning Eastern Conference champions, led by MVP candidate Jason Tatum and all-world two-way player Jalen Brown, 0-2 against your Cleveland Cavaliers. Bring the house down. Three on the way. Good. Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has a record. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm your host, Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan and host of this podcast, Voice of Fox Sports Radio. But who cares about that when we've got a second victory against the Eastern Conference defending champion Boston Celtics? And we did it with a returning point guard, a returning all-star point guard, DG the PG, out there and did not miss a beat. Let's get right to the game action. Coming into this game, One stat I really wanted to point out, because it got blown to hell tonight, and we may never see Grant Williams back in that net rating conversation again. Coming into tonight, did you know, for players who logged at least 24 minutes per game, that's an odd number. I realize you're probably saying, Bob, why 24? 25 is usually my cutoff, but Dean Wade was averaging just below 25 minutes a game, and I wanted him in this random stat, so I changed the boundaries. Players averaging over 24 minutes a game. Best net rating in the NBA. Guess who it is. No, it's not Dean Wade. He's number two. Number one, Grant Williams. A player who I think most Cavs fans came away from tonight being very frustrated with. I respect him, but goddamn, is that a physical player? And this was a physical game. This was the type of game that nothing came easy for the bigs. And in the second quarter, we went way away from those guys. The Celtics had a 13-0 run. We were ISOing everything. We were trying to force stuff with the guards. The third quarter, we went back to it. And when all was said and done, Evan Mobley's stat line would make you think that he was super impactful. 15 points, 7 rebounds, 7 for 8 from the floor. And Jared Allen, a double-double, of course. That's what the man does. 14 points, 14 boards, 2 huge blocks. Both those blocks, by the way, in overtime. Six for 11, but this was a hard-fought game for him. In a game where we had a remarkably low number of turnovers, just 11 turnovers over the course of the game, six of those came from our starting front court. Donovan Mitchell did not turn the ball over tonight. Darius Garland turned the ball over one time. Now, Donovan Mitchell, when he was handling all the creation and all the point guard duties in Garland's absence. This was a guy who was giving us four turnovers a game. He had a game where he had seven turnovers. Today, an exceptionally efficient performance against a defense, which is typically one of the best in the NBA. So you have to tip your cap to Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And I'm not simply saying that because they led the way in scoring. Donovan Mitchell led the way in overtime. And they were the ones who helped gut out this victory in the end. The numbers, remarkable. Not efficiency-wise. This was not a good display by either team in terms of shooting. And we saw that reflected by a truly horrific second quarter for the Cavaliers and a truly horrific third quarter 
for the Celtics. In the second quarter, the Cavaliers shot 6 for 24 from the floor. 3 of 11 for deep. And they got 4 of their 11 turnovers just in that quarter alone. So, not a good showing. That was also the quarter where the Celtics, of course, went on that 13-0 run. And when we went into halftime, we trailed by 6. It was 56-50. But, if you remember the first game, this Cleveland team trailed by 13 points. And they had 75 points hung on them, including 24 from Jason Tatum. That was not the case this time around. Jason Tatum, 11 points. Jalen Brown, the story of the first half, with 16 points on 5 for 10 from the field. And both he and Tatum made all their free throws. An exceptional night at the free throw line from the Boston Celtics. A mediocre night from the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs went to the free throw line seven times in that first quarter. And right out of the gate, Darius Garland wasted no time. Questions as if he was ready to play significant minutes. Well, he logged 42 minutes tonight. And he scored 14 of his 29 points in the first quarter, including a perfect 3-for-3 from three-point land in his first shift. He had nine points. He had two steals. Now to end the game, 29 points and five three-pointers. To complement 25 points from Donovan Mitchell, a huge portion of those which came in the fourth quarter. Nine points from Donovan Mitchell of his 24 in the fourth quarter. And he willed this team bucket for bucket with Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, he gives and he takes away. He had some absolutely huge plays and some huge baskets. And he knows when he gets a smaller guy, Darius Garland is going to get hunted on those post-ups by the bigger physical guards. But it did not work out for him when he did that in overtime because Jared Allen came over when he spun on Garland and he wiped that shot out. And that was huge. With a one-point win, we all saw how that ended. The Celtics got a last look. The Cavaliers left the door open when they didn't need to. I mean, even in the fourth quarter, Darius Garland does not miss free throws. And he managed to go one for two at the line late in the game, which put the Cavs up by two and gave the Celtics a chance to tie or possibly win if they made the three-pointer. But regulation ended with Donovan Mitchell getting his final look blocked by Jason Tatum on just an incredible play. It's easier for me to do this after a win because I would have been bitter if we lost that game based on some of the physicality that went uncalled or called late in the game. And it should be pointed out that both sides had gripes. Jason Tatum on that unbelievable dunk over Jared Allen at the end very easily could have been a foul. You also saw a couple calls go against the Cavs that were just ridiculous. And even at the end of the game, you saw Marcus Smart, Grant Williams and Marcus Smart, when they got switched on to Jared Allen, a man that big should not be able to be shoved around by those guys. So some of that's on Jared Allen. But Marcus Smart can't just wrap both his arms around Jared Allen. You can't impede the movement like that. And Allen was trying to get out, got frustrated. Smart sold it, fell to the floor. Offensive foul at a critical time. They gutted it out. Evan Mobley was big, had an awesome stretch where the Cavs ripped off 10 straight points. You got two straight buckets from Jared Allen. You got a driving reverse layup from Evan Mobley. And then I don't even recall what the final basket was. But, oh, Darius Garland drove around Horford. Just put him on skates. A 10-0 run by the Cavs. It was huge. And right after that 10-0 run, they called Brogdon for a carry. And they got smart for a travel on back-to-back possessions. And that's when the Cavs took the lead back after halftime for the first time. When Evan Mobley made a hook shot over Sam Hauser. And can we just... 
I shouldn't be giving Sam Hauser a lot of time on this podcast, but if there is one decision that as a Celtics fan, I would question, it was Sam Hauser. His third quarter was objectively terrible. Now, the team as a whole was brutal in the third quarter, but Sam Hauser was in the game for four minutes in the third quarter, and he gave up three fouls and missed every shot that he took. They matched him up against Biggs. He got abused by Mobley. They matched him up against the small guys. He got abused by Darius Garland. He couldn't do anything except foul. They should have gone back, in my opinion, to Luke Cornett at that point, but they did not, and it cost them. So the Cavaliers get one more victory against a quality opponent, and for a team that was third in the power rankings this week, behind just Milwaukee and Phoenix, they have a chance at perhaps leapfrogging Phoenix because the quality of that win will certainly, it'll take them a long way. Now, the next matchup for the Cavs is the Pistons, who are struggling. But I will say this, I don't think that's a team that you should overlook. It is a team loaded with talent. It is a team that is far better than last year. This was a team that just beat the Golden State Warriors. So they're not a pushover. Let's just put a bow on what we've seen here in these two matchups against the Boston Celtics. Game one was a ton of Levert. Now tonight, I thought Levert was again very quiet in the first half. I thought his defense, very good. I mean, the results against guys like Tatum and Brown, both of them are excellent finishers, big bodies, physical players, and very difficult to stop. Sometimes you just have to tip your hat and they're going to get theirs. But Jalen Brown was certainly slowed in the second half. He didn't have a particularly efficient second half. And whereas in our first matchup against the Celtics, the story was Jason Tatum with 24 points in the first half and basically nothing in the second half. Jalen Brown this time around was the big man in the first half and kind of waned, whereas Jason Tatum took off because in the second half, Tatum gave 13 and then in overtime, nobody was really making things. I mean, he, he was one for four from the floor. Jalen Brown was one for four from the floor and Marcus Smart one for three. You didn't get a look from anyone else. Grant Williams did nothing but just grab and clutch and shove and Al Horford, much of the same from him. But credit to them, because that defense made it exceptionally difficult for our bigs. And even though their lines look very respectable at the end of the night, and I thought the third quarter was really the calling card for our bigs, I thought Jared Allen excelled in overtime. And Evan Mobley, anyone who watched the game knows exactly the play that I'm talking about. Jason Tatum had Evan Mobley on him at the top of the three-point line, pulled up for a three, and the rebound went long. And Evan Mobley... Couldn't get to it, but he got a hand on it to tip it back in a direction which allowed him to get a defensive rebound, which almost certainly would have ended up with Al Horford getting the offensive rebound, if not for a super smart play by Evan Mobley. So we may feature him a little bit in the beginning to try to get him going the same way the Cavs used to do it with Elgowskis. They give him a couple touches in the first quarter right out of the gate. And I think we're seeing that somewhat with him. But Mobley's contributions are just so paced out and consistent. What you find is that when you have a way to get him into the flow of the offense, we see results like we saw in the third quarter with him where Evan Mobley gave us seven of his 15 points and Jared Allen gave us six points and four rebounds in that quarter. It's no coincidence that the third quarter, which was our best stretch there, was also the quarter in which we got the most balanced contributions. Because while we have the talent 
to go ISO. And Donovan Mitchell is a phenomenal player. He caught Marcus Smart, who's an all-world defender, defensive player of the year, with one of those Euro steps where he takes the ball high and just brings it over him and then tosses up a floater, and it went in. And it's a beautiful thing to see. His ability to get guys on skates with Garland's ability to get guys on skates. We didn't even get much of anything from Dean Wade on the offensive end. There was one particular play, though, and you know the one I'm talking about. He got the ball out near the three-point line, just inside the three-point line, pump faked, put it on the floor, drove to the basket, and got the and one when Derek White wasn't set. And he made the basket, and that was huge. But the biggest contribution from him over the course of the game was he made it very difficult, especially in the first half on Jason Tatum. And credit to him for what were excellent minutes. After last night, not last night, last game against the Knicks where he scored 22 points and made six three-pointers, it would be hard to top that. But certainly, if you look at his contributions tonight, he's still up there amongst the best players in the league in net rating. Four players with more than 24 minutes a game, he is presently third sitting just behind Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones in New Orleans, who, of course, is a Cinderella story of their own, probably right there with us amongst those teams that people are most pleased and surprised by the results. And look at that, led by a former Cavalier GM, David Griffin. So Cavs executives just winning left and right. And we're going to see another excellent executive in our next game. Let's transition away from this Celtics game. We put a nice bookend on this little chapter in our rivalry and we won't see them again till March when we have another set on March 1st in Boston and then March 6th back here in Cleveland so we'll we'll get them four times this year but at best we've guaranteed ourselves a split with the Eastern Conference champion Celtics and who knows how the rest of this season plays out but if it comes down to a battle for seeding and and then standings we're right there with them then these wins are huge these wins could be the thing which give us home court advantage. And there's a lot of season left. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but certainly a lot of optimism here because Garland's back. Neto's gone. Windler may be back soon. Not that he's probably going to play a big spot in the rotation. I thought Okoro had a rough night, but I don't want to dwell on that. This was a great team effort. The front court found ways to contribute. The back court did what the back court does. And also our first opportunity to really see our star guards together. And again, it was encouraging. We only got a half of it in Toronto against an exceptional defensive team, a team that's now sitting third place in the Eastern Conference or in a tie for third place with the Hawks, who they just beat. It's one of those situations where even the loss we had was against a team that's probably going to do a lot better than people expect because Siakam has been incredible and Gary Trent Jr.'s very good. Scotty Barnes, still an exceptional player. And we get a chance at another second year star here. Let's pivot to take a look at this upcoming schedule against the Detroit Pistons. So our next game against the Detroit Pistons, and it would be easy to chalk that off as a victory. I mean, we are battle tested, right? But here's the thing. The Detroit Pistons, just two and seven on the season, look terrible in the standings, but consider who their last five games have been against. The Hawks, the Hawks, the defending NBA champion Golden State Warriors, and then a back-to-back against the Milwaukee Bucks. They won that game against the Warriors. That was perhaps their most complete game as their starting lineup, incredible balance, incredible contributions. Their issues are basically as follows. Their bench rotation is rough. 
and they're missing Marvin Bagley the third and Alec Burks, who would add a lot of scoring punch to that second unit. But while their starting lineup has gotten dramatically better, their bench unit still has a tough time keeping them in games. Now consider this. Boyan Bogdanovich, I'm not factoring in tonight's game because I was doing these numbers, you know, as the game was going on and just taking a look at kind of some of the things that have happened over the course of the season. Now, in this offseason alone, we saw the best move, in my opinion, from the Detroit Pistons was not drafting Jaden Ivey. He looks like he'll be incredible, but that's one of those situations where that was the guy they should have taken at that spot. And similar to how some people would say, well, the Cavs just took the best player that was there for them and they don't get credit for that. I'm going to look at that with the same mentality. I think Jade Nivey is an excellent player, extremely good going downhill, a solid outside shot. If he gets into that range where he can finish in the mid range, the way that Cade Cunningham has been an absolute killer in the mid range, that is going to be a dangerous guard tandem. And, and I'll touch more on Cade Cunningham in a minute, but I think the real story here with the Detroit Pistons is what they did in flipping Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee to the Utah Jazz this offseason for Boyan Bogdanovich, a name that was rumored to be going to contenders. And then out of nowhere, the Pistons came in and without even giving up draft compensation, were able to add a guy who, while a little bit older, will be an excellent veteran presence amongst those guys. And he's immediately become the second option on that team. And if you have not noticed, there are certain guys around the league who are just thriving. P.J. Washington has been great lately. Keldon Johnson has been absolutely incredible. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, otherworldly efficient. Boyan Bogdanovich, one of those guys. And if you think it's a coincidence that he was just extended, it's not. It's because of what he's been doing instantly. They already know this guy is a seamless fit for what we need alongside Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey and some of the other young talent, Isaiah Stewart and uh, Duran, their center that they acquired. And I'll touch on that too. But Boyan Bogdanovich, just listen to these numbers. To start the season, prior to tonight, averaging 23 points, four rebounds, two assists. The second option behind Cade Cunningham. His advanced stats are unbelievable. He's been exceptionally efficient. He leads the Pistons with a 71.7% true shooting percentage. That is second in the NBA amongst people averaging more than 25 points per game. Or, sorry, minutes per game. To only Mikhail Bridges. Now, like I said, Dean Wade, if you had allowed him to count, he was averaging just under 25 minutes. He was a blistering 87.6% true shooting percentage. But we're talking Boyan's usage off the charts compared to him. So those guys really shouldn't be paralleled. I'm just blowing smoke up Dean Wade's ass because this is a Cavalier podcast. But Boyan Bogdanovich is that guy. Listen to these splits. This is a primary scoring option for them, second only to Cade Cunningham. And he's averaging 53% from the field, 51% from three-point land, and 94% at the line. 50-50-90 is unheard of. And he's leading the scoring across the whole NBA by guys drafted in the second round. Now. Some of those names drafted in the second round that he's outpacing, Nikola Jokic, reigning two-time MVP, Gary Trent Jr. in Toronto, Jalen Brunson, who we just got to see in New York, a high-priority guy there who has the ball in his hands all the time. And Boyan is doing it a number of ways. Corner threes, he's excellent at those slip 
to the left or slip to the right threes where he pump fakes and slides. He's coming off C curls, hitting shots just inside the three-point line. The guy has put the ball on the floor even a little bit. His offensive versatility is not to be understated. He's played in markets where he doesn't get a lot of attention. But that move should be amongst one of the most heralded of this past offseason because based on this first seven or eight game sample, Boyan Bogdanovich looks to be an incredible fit with the Pistons. Now, secondly, let's touch on the young guys. Look at Jalen Duran, the center that they picked up. They're trying to turn Isaiah Stewart into a stretch big. He's a little undersized, but he's become the fourth guy on their team in terms of shooting three-pointers. Boyan taking the most, Sadiq Bey after him, Cade Cunningham, of course, a high-volume guy. He's taking more three-pointers, Isaiah Stewart is, than Jaden Ivey, their prized rookie. So this is a guy who, he's a rugged player, very physical player, reminds me a lot of Grant Williams in the sense that he's much stronger than his size, his vertical size would indicate. But Jalen Duran, who is coming off the bench now, he's playing just shy of 20 minutes or right around that mark. He's a per-minute rebounding beast. And down the line, I don't think right now necessarily is when he's going to prove to be his most impactful. But it will be interesting to see if he gets significant burn against the Cavs because they are so big. Now, they have a couple guys they can throw out there. They have Duran, and don't forget, they absorbed Campbell Walker, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel. That was what gave the Knicks the money to go throw at Jalen Brunson. So Nerlens Noel has been logging minutes there. Burks has been hurt. But what is an incredibly shallow bench at the moment, due to the injuries of Burks and Bagley, will be a respectable one. At least in the front court when they're rolling out Duran, Noel, Marvin Bagley III, where they really struggle is in guard depth. Because when Alec Burks gets back, that's a very solid veteran player. But Killian Hayes is shooting an atrocious 17% from the floor and 13% from deep. Corey Joseph getting a little long in the tooth, Isaiah Livers. It's just not been very good. The other areas where they struggle, they just they struggle to defend in the paint and they they struggle in transition. So the game against the Pistons could be one for Osman to shake out of this slump that he's been in. Because if we can get out and run the floor a little bit, make things a little bit easier for our bigs so that they don't have to get in these like grind it out, hammer each other games, a little more open floor action would be good in that game against the Pistons. Now, let's talk about the second-year guys, Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley certainly has been pacing up. His points per game have been ticking up. His efficiency has been ticking up, and his rebounding has been getting better as we go along here. And I think we're going to see that continue to evolve. You have to feel excellent about the 7-for-8 night tonight. Cade Cunningham is taking four more attempts per game, and his issue has been, his numbers are great, 23 points, six rebounds, seven assists. He's slightly more efficient, but where he struggles is he's not very good as a catch-and-shoot option. And with a guy like Jaden Ivey, who also has to have the ball in his hands a lot, you'd like to see him improve a little bit more being able to make those threes off the catch-and-shoot. But also, where he seems to be struggling is, last year he took around 16 shots a game. This year it's around 20. He's been tailing off in the second half. In the first quarter, He's shooting, at the first half of games, he's shooting 57% from the floor, 44% from three, 64% true shooting. Very respectable. Second half, nosedive. 34% from the floor, 21% from three, and 42% true shooting. So over the course of the season, we may see him get stronger there, 
And we also may see that in the second half, they choose to use Jaden and Cade a little differently because their skill sets at the moment are almost polar opposites and that Cade Cunningham is deadly from the mid-range, whereas Jaden Ivey is a get downhill, get to the rim, or his shot selection is questionable right now. Some of the threes he takes, he can make three-pointers, but I haven't loved all the looks that I've seen from him. So it will be a fun game. And, and anybody who remembers last year knows that the Pistons played us competitive and they beat us last year. So it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that coming off an incredible emotional high after what we saw in the last three games with the Celtics, the Knicks, and the Celtics, that we could have a letdown there. But let's not, hope not. I, w- I would love to see them take this win and then it'll set up a matchup where we get to see the Lakers on Sunday. And that's always one to look forward to because LeBron is LeBron. He does what he does against the Cavs and he's certainly going to show up to play. So I'm excited for the upcoming stretch, but nothing but positive things on the Cavalier front. I'm not even going to touch on any of the NBA stories. I will have another podcast. I'm actually putting one together. I'll have a guest for you. Um, That is in the works right now. And I'll be back to speak more about the, uh, the Pistons game. So we'll do some more of that. We'll, we'll jump around the NBA and look at some of the other things that are happening. But tonight is a night that should be dedicated to the Celtics victory. Well, not the Celtics victory, the Cavs victory over the Celtics. How dare I give the Celtics top billing? Ridiculous. Thank you to everyone who listens to the fear of the fro podcast. It's been an incredible week in terms of you guys are very kind. Uh, the messages you send, the people leaving ratings and reviews. I appreciate all of it. I thank all of you who listen, and it's been a pleasure to be able to do more of these now that I'm really settled in to where I'm you know, doing the shows from. Um, it is an exciting time to be a Cavs fan, and Mitchell is just paying dividends. I'm going to leave you with one thing. After the last performance from Dean Wade, 22 points, I felt that our man, Drippy Dean, needs an anthem. So here you go. Enjoy this. Thank you for listening. Rate and subscribe. This has been Fear the Fro. Dean Wade, he's not an impressive, physically specimen guy. How dare you? He knocks it down. You got the trap. Dean Wade's the drippiest Dean. He's the drippiest damn small forward you've ever seen. He got that trip. And he's a scoring machine. The 3 and D undrafted free agent development dream. His name is Rip. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.